Well, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 357, and our guest is one of you, a listener of the show. We have many previous episodes with listeners of the podcast, but that's usually to tell a story, a hunt, some lessons learned, etc. Today, though, we're talking about gear with a listener. Our guest, Will, spent thousands of dollars on optics trying to find what is the perfect optic for him, and specifically, rangefinding binoculars. As you'll hear, Will did consider using a separate rangefinder and binocular unit, but if possible, he wanted to have an all-in-one approach. He tested many different options, which Will will discuss today, and we really go through all the options he tested to talk about the pros and the cons, what he found beyond just the specs you see online, and much more. You'll also hear which unit he ended up sticking with. So this is a fun conversation because Will obviously has no allegiances. He's not part of the industry, not sponsored. He's an everyday hunter, just like you, who just really wanted to do a deep dive and investigate what was going to be the best rangefinding binocular for him. Before we get into that conversation, I wanted to remind you guys that if you have a question for us that you'd like to share on the show, look for the link in the show description that says, leave us a message. You can use whatever device you're listening to this podcast on to leave us an audio message that we can answer on a future Monday Minute episode. Alternatively, you can contact us by email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. If you have a question, hit pause and do that right now, then come back. Here's this conversation with Will. Will, welcome to the Hunts Back Country podcast. I'm excited to chat, man. Hey, nice to be here, Mark. I appreciate your time. Yeah, you'll have to forgive me. I think I was trying to think exactly how we connected to talk about this idea. Did you call, I think, about something with EXO when we got to talking about optics or how did that come about? Right. I actually called you uh, upgrading, I consider my pack to uh, to a K3 4800. And I, I called you with some questions on fitment. I uh, wanted to verify a few things, and, and in that conversation, we kind of got to talking about optics, and I kind of mentioned that the testing that I had done kind of independently on my own and uh, asked you and said, hey, look, if you ever want to share this with your listeners, I've done a lot of re- testing that maybe a lot of people haven't that, you know, it might help other other folks out there. That's right. Yeah, to, to break it down, um, I'm looking at the list of things you've tested and we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars here that uh, you've spent and obviously probably have returned some, so it's not uh, permanently out of your pocket, but you have put your hands on as many optics as a lot of guys have. Um, And it's also unique because you're not an industry guy. You don't have, you know, anything at stake. I mean, you're truly just a a regular guy who's going, Hey, optics are a big investment. I want to try as many options as possible uh, and figure out what works for me. Um, let's start with that. Let's start with the regular guy thing. Where are you from? When did you start hunting? Kind of what do you do these days for hunting? Things like that. Just so listeners have some context for who you are. Okay. So uh, I'm from Hurricane, West Virginia, which is just a little west of the capital city of Charleston. But you you have to understand West Virginia is rural, pretty rural. So, you know, I think there's about 6,000 people in the town I live in. And um, 
I'm an IBW electrician, and now I'm a division manager for a, a regional construction company. And in my younger years, I was raised up a huge rabbit hunter. And and honestly, when when in my youth, my my grandfather and my dad, we we hated deer hunters because in the state you couldn't small game hunt the first three days of rabbit season or the first three days of rabbit season or first three days of deer season. I'm sorry. So we didn't, we didn't like the big game hunt. That's just, but then as things evolved, the, the rabbit populations dwindled in West Virginia for, for multiple reasons. So really I was an avid hunter and fisherman and really just the natural evolution was to, to get into big game hunting, you know, white-tailed deer. Um, started that probably in my mid twenties. And when I was an apprentice and younger, I had opportunities to, to go out West and, and hunt but just financially couldn't do it at the time when, when the family was younger and, and just starting out and everything, but, but always wanted to. And then um, several years back, worked a lot out of town, was in Tennessee, and working with a like-minded guy, uh, actually living together and everything. And, and we said, hey, let's, let's start taking trips out west. So we, we took our first trip to Texas, then Nevada, then Wyoming, then Alaska, Alabama mixed in there for some hogs, um, and, you know, Idaho, and um, just really have fallen in love with the do-it-yourself backcountry hunting, um, you know, and me and my friend Nick from Kansas City that I hunt with, is, we always laugh, you know, it's never fun until you get back home. You know, <laughs> it's, it's painful. It's a grind if you do it right you know, from, from the research to the travel to the packing out animals, everything. But then you look back and there's a sense of, I don't know, pride and accomplishment of what you did without an outfitter or out anybody really pointing you in the right direction, you know, Google Orthonics, maps, go hunt, whatever it is you use and just coming up with a plan, having the fortitude to stick with the plan, execute the plan and be successful. And, uh, so it's been quite an evolution for me from a guy that, that at one time loved the rabbit hunt. Yeah, evolution for sure. With how, um, what was your journey like with optics? And I say journey with optics because for many hunters like yourself coming from small game and then whitetail and then eventually getting out west and taking trips, um, there's not many guys running around in West Virginia with high dollar optics. I necessarily don't need them. Um, so I feel like most hunters who have a hunting history similar to yours probably have somewhat of an optics journey that they go along of like, Hey, I don't, I don't want to drop 2,500 bucks or more on an optic. Like I'm going to start here. And then eventually you figure out, well, I do want an upgrade and maybe you get to something mid tier before you go premium, et cetera. So, um, what does that look like for you? What have you used over the years or what have you found lacking in optics that made you want to upgrade? Well, honestly, bow hunting in West Virginia, the first set of optics I ever bought was a, a little small eight pyre set of Steiner Predators. They were real small. Uh, you know, you could fit them into a pocket pretty easy. And for the the, the brushy timber and stuff in, in West Virginia, hardwoods and stuff, they work fine. You know, not real super expensive, something that was within my means. Um, later on for a short period of time, I got into 
archery shooting, you know, 3D targets and stuff. And at that time, Brunton um, was a big brand uh, that, you know, was affordable. And, and I got a pair of eight power Bruntons that were a little better, a little nicer. And then for the past several years, I have used um, a Vortex Razor 10 by 50 HD which, you know, Vortex has an absolutely great warranty. Uh, they're not crazy expensive at the time. They were, they were a stretch for me. Uh, and I thought, you know, hey, this, you know, I'm, I'm in the big time now. And they, mm -hmm. they did a, a marvelous job. I mean, and, and you know, the, the, the trick of going from a 42 objective to a 50 really does well for light gathering, clarity, uh, different things. And, use those in conjunction with a Laika Rangemaster 1600B for several trips to Kodiak. And finally, as my evolution and, and you know, my kid, my, my, my son's about ready to get off the payroll and, you know, things aren't quite the way they used to be, I decided, look, I'm going to bite the bullet and I'm going to get the best glass that I can get that suits my purpose so that and and like i said i i tend to and i have battled <laughs> i guess being honest i battled being cheap over the years you know and it's a hard lesson to learn but buy once cry once is truly a real thing and um so i said look i'm gonna i'm gonna buy the best optics out there that fits my needs the best and you know it's a lot like buying a computer there's Chances are when you buy it in no time, it's going to be outdated or trumped by something. So I just wanted to go through, go through everything that I could to make sure I made the best decision that I could. So one component of this is, and you can talk about how much this was the case, but you're considering um, range finding binocular. So the potential to pair a range finder and a bino into one solution um, and then also have uh, ballistics, MOA holds, things like that into that one solution. Were you going into this comparison and you're shopping, were you dead set on having one unit combined or were you open to a premium bino plus a really nice rangefinder separately? Uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I really did go back and forth. And uh, the reason being, in my opinion, no manufacturer out there has checked all the boxes of what I feel is in my wheelhouse. So one thing that I kind of left out this this backcountry hunting, we tend to to do some long range hunting. Uh, like I mentioned, my friend Nick in Kansas City, he's he's a very successful competitive um, ELR shooter, and uh, he's a, also a gunsmith out there. Builds a really nice rifle and uh, very successful so you know we we tend to do that whether you believe with the ethics of that we really never take bad shots and the conditions all have to be right if they're not right we'll move in much closer so there are some boxes there that i need to check that maybe some guys would so in 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 the beginning i was open to anything and and was at the end because you know when you get into a laser range finding binocular, you have to understand that the gra glass quality is just a shade 
under what the top glass that that manufacturer has as a rule. You know, I, I know Steve loves the NL Pure, thinks there's nothing like the NL Pure. And if you go to the Swaro EL Range TA, a very top-notch binocular, great binocular range finding, great app, everything. We'll talk more about that later. But that glass in it is not quite what's in the NL Pure, and that has to do a lot with the reading of that laser coming back, the sending and receiving of that laser signal. That glass, the, the way they bevel the glass and everything, it distorts that laser and kind of uh, the electronic side of things kind of uh, degradates that um, that quality. So uh, that's something you have to keep in mind. So, so I went through there on my list, there is one handheld uh, laser range finder that is, that is top notch that, that I had my hands on and, and at one point thought, okay, yeah, this paired with a, with a, a premium bino is the way to go. Um, but it's just so nice to be able to pull one instrument up and you may just, have spotted a doe and you're just curious okay how far out there is she is she 300 yards is it 500 yards or you know because out west sometimes that stuff will fool you and uh uh so yeah i was open to both but really uh, it, it's it's handy to have everything in one application and also the the ballistics uh calculator as well on board I've been back and forth there myself um, for a couple of years. The last couple of years, I've primarily been using a range finding bino, um, the Zeiss, and I've also owned the EL range TA as well. Um, they're great. They're so convenient, but at the same time, there's like, I'm sure we'll probably get into, I don't feel like anyone's a hundred percent nailed everything that I'm looking for. Um and part of what I don't want to say worries me, but like a consideration is take like an EL range TA, really any of them. I feel like that technology is still going to be evolving um, the ranging. And I, you know, some of those upgrades or changes could come to an older unit by firmware, for example, or software updates. Um, but I just wasn't like at the end of the day, man, they're so convenient. They're great. I honestly wouldn't have any hesitation using them. But part of me is also like, I still feel like perfection may be coming. And I don't know, this year I'm going back to using um, a separate bino and a separate range finder. And I'm, I'm curious, having done that in the past, but then going away from it to now coming back to it for a season to see what it's going to be like. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, and that's exactly why I said nobody's checked all the boxes. You know, some people have come close on opposite ends of the spectrum. Yes, exactly. It's almost like the people that are designing these things and are making the calls aren't really sportsmen. That's the thing that gets me, that it's almost like they're not talking to the market and saying, okay, what really blows your skirt up here? What do you need in a laser range finding but binary? You know, what do you need? Because some of it in some manufacturers, I believe, is marketing. They have a price point they're trying to hit. Mm -hmm. Others, I believe it's, it's hey, this is the way we've always done things. This is the way we're always going to do things. And I just, 
And it's just the one, and, and later on, I'll tell you, the one that I really wanted to fall in love with it was like a really close second. It's, it's, just, it's just not there on the other end of the spectrum with the glass. So it's, it's just, uh, you know, you got to decide the lesser of the evils and who hits the most boxes for you and just what's going to work the best for you. And it's not an easy choice. This was, I mean, everybody that I know laughed at me about what I was doing. <laughs> uh, and it got really stressful and everything at times because it was like, you know, because I, I don't have the means to every every year or so spend, you know, $3,500 on a pair of binos, you know, so I knew that I needed to make it count when I pulled the trigger. <laughs> like I said, it's like a computer. You buy it, chances are the next year at the SHOT Show, they're going to come out with something that notches it a little bit. Yeah. The the short story for my journey, and then I want to dive more specifics into yours, but as I want, I want Sig Sauer and Swaro to come together and make perfection. Um, because it, in my opinion, Sig crushes the rangefinding game and obviously Swaro's optics. Like if you could somehow get those combined into a unit, and of course, if you did, it would probably be incredibly expensive, but um, something like that would be perfection but real quick before we dive into specific units let's talk about that this process so how did you get your hands on all these items and then like for example were you specifically purchasing them from you know outlets where you could do like a 30-day return like how did you buy all this stuff evaluate it either return it or resell what you didn't keep what did that look like for you about any way I could. And you have to understand in West Virginia, there's a Cabela's not far from me, but they're not, they don't carry some of the levels of things that, that I needed to get my hands on. So yeah, I was buying them from outlets that had a 30 day trial. Some of them I borrowed from, from friends. Um, Maven is one brand that is newer to the market. They have a great uh, demo program. Uh, kudos to them. They're, they are an absolutely fantastic company there in Wyoming. Uh, and uh, I've really got my own name to watch. I, I like to see uh, smaller companies evolve and grow, and, and they're great. They have a demo program, so uh, I demo that. So, yeah, pretty much everything. And, and some things, one brand I had never even heard of, uh, GPO, German Precision Optics, actually it popped up on – my Instagram page one day and I said, man, that looks a lot like a, like a Swaro bino. So I kind of go, I said, man, I've never heard of GPO. So started going through the research of what they were and everything and spoke with them. They're, they're also a great company new to the market, so to speak. And they had a demo program that they, they let me do that. So, and what I would do, I work a lot in a plant here, a Toyota plant, uh, across the river from where I live and it's one of the few places around that I know and it's just a big soybean field and I would go over and park at the Toyota plant walk across the highway and walk out in the far end of this field at night and, and sometimes it was 20 degrees 10 degrees whatever and I just sat there and would watch these deer come out at 15 16 1700 yards and I would sit there until well after dark seeing which performed the best in low light, uh, how accurate was the advertised range capabilities, all that sort of thing. So, uh, and at different times, I might have two or three pair of binoculars out there juggling them around 
uh, doing like head to head comparisons on them. Uh, a bridge at the end, so you know you could do it on something a little more reflective and versus an animal. Uh, so tried to do as comprehensive a test and evaluation as I could on the products that I had. Yeah, I mean, that's what you have to do. It's even if you could go to a Cabela's Sportsman's wherever with everything. And even if you could go outside, you know, away from the artificial light and get natural light and spend some time in the parking lot, like nothing replaces getting in the field, different conditions, different targets, and just really time side by side. It's one of my favorite things uh, when you get to hunt with other people who have other optics. It's like, all right, let's sit down here and like, let's spend some time and go back and forth and get side to side in a real environment and really compare some things here. Correct. Absolutely. So let's get into some specific units. Um, well, I feel like we could probably pick any one of these and talk for a half hour alone. And of course, we don't have that time. But um, let's hit this list in whatever order you want to hit it. And you have a great outline of bullet points of pros and cons. So I'll kind of just let you um, chat about what you want to chat about on each one and obviously ask some questions and things like that. So we'll just kind of go down my list in order as I sent it to you. Uh, and I'll kind of save the summary and what I ended up choosing at the end. I'll just kind of be very arbitrary about what I liked and disliked about each one. Um, so the first one I'm going to talk about are the brand new Leica Geovid Pro 32 uh, in 10 by 32. So I waited like five months, pre-ordered and waited like five months to get my hand on these. And you know, that's the thing that I feel like Leica missed the boat on marketing these because, you know, I heard rumors that they were going to be able to, you're going to be able to input the wind, which is the next evolution in these range finding binoculars. But nowhere did they really come out and say it. And their advertisements were really short and sweet. And it was kind of like they were riding on their name and not really marketing it real well. So got a hold of my local Leica rep and just asked the question, hey, are you going to be able to directly input wind into those units? And he said, yes, sir. And so I, I had some concerns about the 32 millimeter objective, um, you know, gathering light, field of view, different things, and 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 kind of ask him why the 32, not the standard 10 by 42, I call it the standard, but you know what is driven most by the market. And he said, Hey, that's, that's our number one request is a 32 millimeter range finding binocular. He said, so that's what we're going to come out with first. Um, So naturally the pros is you get alpha glass from Laika, you know, really, really hard to beat the Laika glass. Uh, You know, when you're talking about the big three, the, the Swaro, the, the Laika and the Zeiss, you know, it's you're really splitting hairs to say this one's better than the other. I mean, they're, they're all really good. So you get that good alpha quality. I don't mean to cut you off on this point, but from a very high level, talk about the big three. Do you feel that your eye for you personally consistently likes glass from one of those three, just at, you know, whether it's your preference on like, oh, contrast or color or brightness, et cetera. Cause I, I mean, that's been my case. It's like all three of them amazing, but certain guys I feel like you're going to navigate to kind of the profile or the, 
the quality of one just kind of suits their preference best? Here's my personal opinion is that, like I said, you're splitting hairs when you're talking glass quality among the big three. I think then to me, it came down to the intuitiveness and user-friendly of their app, uh, the ergonomics, you know, the way the buttons are laid out, you know, the you know, a lot of people on the Swaros don't like those humps where the electronics are at on the back of the barrels. That never bothered me, but some people really that really bugged them for some reason. Um, you know, Zeiss has their buttons are reversible and they're way more far uh, towards the front of the barrels. Mm-hmm. That I didn't like that as well as the buttons being on the right hand side. But now my hunting partner, Nick, he likes the Zeiss better because if he's laying in a gun and throws those binos up with his left hand, he can have it set up to range that way and never have to take his right hand off the rifle. So once you get to the big three, as as they're called, I think it gets to be more personal preference about ancillary things rather than the actual bino themselves. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I don't want to, we can get back on the points of the Leica. Yeah, so um, the big thing with me are the ability to be a standalone unit, meaning you don't have to be Bluetooth connected to your phone with the app to input the wind, get your dope, all that sort of thing. And and the, the Geovid Pro 32s are a standalone unit. You have the ability to input wind data directly into the bino or through the app. The price point really for, for what they are and the quality that you get and the improved, you know, the price point was really surprising. I think that they could have very easily come out with these costing quite a bit more. And so, um, you know, that's that was a big plus. Um Really solid customer service. I talked to about everybody in in customer service with all these people because I had questions trying to do as much in-depth research as I could. Um, It does have the ability to link to external devices. It has a very, very user-friendly app that, you know, I'm not the most computer literate person in the world. And so I'm probably a pretty good test subject of um, what's user-friendly and what's not. And, uh, it does that, and then I think it's compatible also with base map. Um, and it you can get Applied Ballistics Elite, which is their latest version of ballistic solutions. So that was a, a big plus for me, too, on the Geovid Pros. Mm. And you did note that, that getting the Elite version of ballistics is actually a, an upgrade charge because it comes standard with Applied Ballistics Lite, I believe you said? Yeah, so so that was that's one of the that's my first con on that. And I think that was probably to keeping the price point down. It comes standard with the applied ballistics light, which will calculate out to I think 800 yards standalone. Mm-hmm. And then everything after that, you know, you would have to have it linked to an external device. But, you know, through the app for $150, you can upgrade bino to applied ballistics elite which does that dope infinitely and then it adds some other things in there that you can do uh 
the spin drift, the Coriolis aerial jump, all those different things that if you're doing long range shooting that you need, but you know, you're spending $3,000 on a pair of binoculars and you got to pay 150 to upgrade that. I, I wasn't crazy about that, but it, it wasn't a deal breaker either. Um, but it just, it seemed a little iffy to me. So, yeah. yeah, just like to make a comparison, maybe for listeners, that's not the upgrade thing is interesting, but having an applied ballistics light, which as you said, will give you a solution up to 800 yards versus elite is not uncommon. Like SIG, for example, on some of their lower end range finding binos or range finders will have applied ballistics light. And then some of the higher end stuff is going to have applied ballistics elite. And I don't want to speak for them, but part of the reason I believe that they do that is it's not just the software. It's that the the lower price point range finding solution doesn't have the built-in sensors for things like temperature, humidity, uh, et cetera. And so it's not just a limitation of software. It's a limitation of, hey, if we if we can't have these sensors to know um, barometric pressure, right? Um, right. then we don't want to say we can even provide a solution because that becomes a variable out past 800 yards that we can't account for. So the unit needs to have the capabilities and sensors to have more variables to truly calculate a solution. And so what SIG does anyway is if we don't have the sensors to have that input to account for those variables, we're not going to give you the software to extend that distance but on the higher end units that do have the sensors all built in now we can account for these things then we will give you the solution out further if that makes sense oh it does it it for sure does and i think that's why you have to have it linked to your phone is because then they rely on your phone to get some of those you know station pressure temperature and different things um so the other thing like i said um the 32 millimeter objective only at this point was a con you know uh and, and with today's supply chain issues and stuff maybe they just couldn't come out with both a 32 and a 42 at the time um they do not have a wind clock when you um input the the data for the wind direction it's it's simple just numbers one through 12 and the geovid pro 32s where is like um the Revic handheld and the SIG Kilo 10K both have a wind clock that by punching the buttons, you actually get an arrow in a, in a clock that shows you the direction of wind you're putting it in, whether it's uh, a straight head wind at 12 o'clock or a three o'clock crosswind or whatever. That, yeah. uh, that visual aid, I think, is, is good. Um, they, this isn't the best laser available to Leica, but it is a very good laser. I mean, I was ranging tree trunks out to 2,000 yards and, you know, deer 15, 16, 1,800 yards pretty easily. Um, the, the, the big three, in my opinion, they are kind of shown up by SIG on their reticle. The reticles are all pretty much circles and they're big. Um, and you kind of have to go through, uh, when you're testing them, you kind of have to figure out where that laser is actually hitting in that reticle. You know, it may not be dead center. It may be on the bottom, uh, 
edge of the circle or the top or the left or the right. And you kind of have to know each individual unit. And that circle to me on these are a little, little big. Um, and the doctors don't, don't lock on these and they're not really, really super tight. Uh, luckily for me, I know exactly. It's just odd the way once I adjust the doctor, it's, it's kind of right in the middle of the range on both eyes. But I have reached in to my bino harness to get them out and rub my thumb across and and move that doctor, and I felt it. Uh, so, you know, they're not liking doctors. I know that seems to be kind of a trivial thing, but it, it could cause you an issue, I guess, if you didn't know. The, what you mentioned about the reticle, I just want to highlight that because I, there perhaps there's some newer newer listeners or newer to rangefinder devices that really need to hear that again that. Just because you pull out any range finding device and there's any sort of reticle, whether it's a crosshair or a box or a circle or et cetera, that center point isn't necessarily where that laser is hitting. And so if you've been maybe frustrated by inconsistencies or something like that with your range finder, that is one thing to consider and do some testing with is, okay, here's this reticle, but where do I get the most consistency? So in the past, for example, um, I've had a range finding device that had a circular uh, reticle and I basically always used kind of the like the two o'clock edge of that circle. It really is my aim point. So not the dead center, but that edge and just finding out where that's at for you. Um, some advanced range finders, you can actually kind of calibrate that and change it. But um, just wanted to highlight what you covered there because I didn't want to skip past for some folks who maybe kind of need to hear about that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, I usually use uh, a street sign in a distance and kind of start playing with that, hitting it, and then seeing where where it ranges is kind of how I do it. And then you find out, you know, it's at six o'clock, then you know that's when you're trying to range a deer, that's where you want to put it on there. So. Yeah, same here. So so the next is the Lyaka Geovid uh, 3200.com. That, you know. Wonderful name. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so um, again, you get the great glass, good customer service. It's got their best laser, so it's got a really good laser. And there's multiple sizes available, you know, different powers and stuff. Um, now, this one is, you know, it'll only calculate your dope out to 800 yards without being linked to a Kestrel uh, or some kind of external device. Um, the big knock that you you hear about them, you read about them, and I found to be the case is Bluetooth, Bluetooth inconsistency when you're, you know, connecting to a Kestrel or an external device. Um, so, you know, it just seems like one or the other goes to sleep and it just doesn't stay connected. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is is be building a shot for an animal or something. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything goes to sleep and you don't have your dope. So um, that was something that I think they corrected when they built the the pro 32s um, because that's not an issue with them. Yeah. I mean, I don't recall when these uh, 3200.coms were released, but it's, I don't want to say it's out of date by any means, but this is kind of older in the generation of range finding binoculars at this point. So things like that Bluetooth chipset and that um, are definitely going to be more consistent, faster, et cetera, on, on newer generation units, I'll say. Yes, absolutely. 
And and like I said, maybe not even a fair comparison to the older ones and the new one, but I just kind of didn't leave any stone unturned. So, you know, tested them all. Um, so these you can't input the wind. So it's just a hold up to what you're going to get. Uh, the same reticle in it. It's a little big and you, you kind of have to play with. Um, the doppers don't, don't lock. And then this unit is physically a little larger than some of the others. Uh, the SIG Kilo is a little smaller, more compact. So is the Geobid Pro. So it's it's a little larger frame, um, but um, you know which is which is consistent. And I think that what lets you get the, their best laser, a little more electronics in there. But just and it's not a deal breaker or anything. But if you get to where you're counting every ounce, it, it may be a factor for you. Um, and the one thing to note about Leica, they are the only brand that I know that on most of their laser range finding binoculars, the laser does not come out of the barrel. Um, in the front of the hinge on the Geovid Pro 32 and the 32.coms, that laser is actually shot out of the front of the hinge, but it is received back through the right barrel. So the glass quality is still probably not their very, very top glass because of that. Um, and I don't know if that helps with the ranging or not. I mean, because Swaro does it through the barrel and they, they have a very good range finder. So just something to note. You, you'll notice that when you see it, you can kind of see the little printed circle board in there and everything when you when you examine them closely. So just a little trivial nugget. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next one is going to be the SIG Kilo 10K. Um, this was another one that I waited for several months uh, to get with supply chain issues and production issues and everything. Um, but a lot of pros on the, the SIG 10Ks, I mean, you get the, the industry's best laser. Uh, you get the best reticle. Uh, there's actually a choice of three reticles. I think there's a duplex, there's a small circle, and there's a rectangle uh, that you can choose from. Mm -hmm. um, this reticle can actually, there's a process to calibrate it, and you can actually get hashes on the horizontal plane in the reticle if you want hashes. Uh, you, can, you can add that through the binos. Um, they have a compact size and they have the, the rubber armor on them. They, they feel real good. They, they have the bigger eye cups on them uh, than bigger than what Leica has or, or Zeiss. Um, they have an absolutely great app that's very user-friendly. Um, you can input the wind and there's a wind clock and it's really quick to get to you, you hold both buttons down the wind clock pulls up and you can put the direction of the wind in and then you can dial up or down the wind that you, you have uh and it actually ships with a weather flow wind meter so it actually ships with an external way to measure that wind and uh, can link it directly there and have that wind put in there automatically that way if if you uh you're into that sort of thing. It does have Applied Ballistics Elite. Now, it provides additional information on its reticle. It will provide 
once you put your 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 gun profile in there and i'm shooting a seven millimeter psalm a lot like you mark so when you range that and if that animal's at 700 yards it'll tell you what your velocity is at on target and what your energy in foot pounds is at on target which you know can come in handy if you're doing some long-range shooting uh so um as I said earlier, the reticle can kind of be semi-customized, you know, by you got three choices, the hashes, you can turn some things on and off. It can definitely operate as a standalone unit, but you can uh, link it to other devices, you know, Kestrel, Garmin, what, whatever you're using or that weather flow. And it has the capabilities of using base map. Um, so, the electronic side of it is head and shoulders above anybody else. I mean, yeah, it is, agreed. It's, it's just there. The only real downside that I see to the electronics, and I don't know there may even be a way to adjust the timer, is I felt like the reticle, the display, once you range something, stayed up a bit too long. You mm. know, because if you just wanted a simple reading, when it pulled up, it's a little busy anyway because it's giving you a lot of information, but it stayed up longer than the rest of, and you know would would impair your ability to keep glass and um and and just a little bit of an aggravation. I got used to it, but it was something there. One thing I've noticed that with not I don't mean by this unit, but just the timing of how long the display stays up is based on the scenario i want two different things and what i mean by that is like if i'm just glassing and casually wondering like oh how far is that or whatever like i just want to get a quick range and then have it go away and keep glassing but i do like the longer display for anything that is a potential shot opportunity right so um if i'm on target i want all the information i want to see that information for a while i'm not concerned to get back to glassing immediately necessarily um because i want the info but it's when I'm just casually kind of like scanning and glassing and ranging for curiosity sake. That's when I want it to go away quick. So I've been uh, a little bipolar in my own, like, Oh, I like that long. No, I don't like that long. You know? Oh yeah. Then that, that's the same thing with me. That's exactly right. Um, so my biggest knock on the SIG Kilo 10 case is the glass quality is just not on par with the big three. And it's, it's pretty solid. It's good, but it's not alpha quality glass. There was a little bit of the distortion at like four o'clock on the pair that, that I uh, tested. And there is a noticeable blue tint to these binoculars. And I am told that that is a coating on there that allows them to get more range out of their laser than the others. Mm -hmm. um and i gotta be honest with you i really thought when i went to test them at low light that they would really go away way quicker than big three and they didn't i mean they 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 held their own and everything but it the detail leaves a little bit quicker but still you know uh the last test where i was kind of head to head with the the kilo 10k and the uh, geovid pro 32s i'm i'm ranging beef cattle in a field at about 1200 yards and i'm just watching 
can I can I see the tags on their ears? Can I see them flipping the ear? Different things like that, and the, the little bit of detail you could still get with the Leica that you couldn't get with the the kilo 10Ks. So um, the reticle, like I said, is a little bit busy, but it's not a deal breaker, and it has a lot of information that is um, usable. You know, you know, there's there's definitely scenarios where knowing what your velocity and your energy at the target, uh, if you're doing any kind of long range shooting, would help you. Um, now, their diopters do not lock either, but they are very, very tight. The way yeah. they're made, they are extremely tight. So that was not any kind of a concern for me. Um, very tight, but a a very, very good quality product. Um, uh, on, from my experience on the customer service side, a little harder to get a hold of maybe than the, the others. But once I got in touch with them, they were very, very friendly and very helpful um, and a good product. Um, so, so the next you kind of mentioned earlier was the Swarovski EO range TA 10 by 42. So again, you get the, the alpha quality, you know, great glass, you get excellent customer service with them that, you know, they're, they're uh, very easy to get a hold of and, and will answer your questions. They have a great laser, uh, their app's really good, really user-friendly. Now, they don't use um, Applied Ballistics Elite. They use, like, uh, their own proprietary uh, ballistics calculator, but it's very good, very accurate. I, uh, out to quite long ranges, I would uh, test it versus a Kestrel with Applied Ballistics Elite, and uh, it was right there closer than you can dial your scope. So, you know, very good. Um, they have the best diopters. They do lock. Mark, as you know, you pull them up, you make your adjustment, and then you push them back down, and they lock, and they won't move until they're pulled back up. So um, I know I mention that a lot. Maybe to some people that's not a big deal, but, you know, like I said, these units aren't cheap. That was just a really nice feature I felt like that they had. Um, and they will cut, calculate your ballistic solution out as far as you can range. Um, they have good Bluetooth and they have the tracking assistant app on there that you can use either with app on the phone or standalone with the binocular that will help you identify where you made a shot from, where your animal's at, that sort of thing. And, uh, what can help you track. So that's a, a big plus for them. Um, an older unit, you know, you can't input the wind on those. Uh, like I said, there are the humps on the back of the barrels, which if you get on the rock slide or any of these other places, some people just absolutely can't stand that. To me, it just never did bother me. I mean, the SIGs have the same thing a little bit, but they're much smaller, but that just never did bother me. Um, now, they are a uh, larger frame size like uh, the pro or the, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, 32.com. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but honestly, there was a point when I had these um, before I found out about some upcoming ones where you were going to be able to input the wind. But this is the way I was going. Uh, 
their, their app. I liked it. I liked the ergonomics on the um, the binoculars. They, they just I just liked them. They were they were probably my pick at one point, uh, but I kind of kept trudging through the the test and <laughs> and ended up going a different direction. But those are our top shelf. So um, the next are the Zeiss Victory RF ten by forty two. Um, again, the big three alpha quality glass, really, really good glass, hard to beat, uh, good customer service. Uh, like I'd mentioned earlier, the range and mode buttons are further out, probably three quarters of the way down, uh, the barrel of the binoculars and they're reversible. You can switch the range and mode button from left to right barrels, which is a nice, a nice feature. Uh, like I said, my buddy, he he wants that range button on the left side. So if he ever is ranging while he's in the rifle, he can lay it up. You know, he's got a little way, lays it up there and it ranges with his left hand rather than his right, where I prefer everything to be in uh, in my right hand. Um, they have real good Bluetooth. They stay connected the way they're supposed to. Um, as far as the con goes, the, the biggest thing, thing that that i didn't like which to some maybe not be a big deal uh but there are no g7 ballistics available on the zeiss you can only use g1 um i called them ask about that what you mentioned earlier i thought hey with a you know a firmware update are you ever gonna you know in your ballistics library ever going to use move over or uh have the g7 ballistics uh as an option and the Zeiss rep said, why do you need it? You can use G1. Uh, my whole thought was they are actually one of the more expensive ones, if not the most expensive one. And I'm just thinking, you know, you're paying almost $4,000 for a set of binoculars. The technology's out there. Why not give the, the end user the choice? Yeah. But, you know, not, not a deal breaker by any, by any stretch of the imagination. Um. In my opinion, their app is not quite as user-friendly user as some. There's a lot of stuff uh, that it'll do on there. Uh, you know, you can put pictures, you can put targets on there, uh, all different types of things, uh, hunting grounds, different things. I struggled with it a little bit, and maybe I didn't give it enough of a chance, but I'm not the most computer-savvy person in the world using apps and stuff, and it just wasn't as intuitive as the others. Um, so, you know, that was um, an issue. Um, the doctors don't lock. Uh, a little stiffer, but you can still move them. You know, and then their their frame size or the other side, they're, they're a larger frame size binocular, but still a high quality, alpha quality glass uh, with a with a good ballistic solution. So, yeah. Well, I'd, uh, I hate to do this. I'd love to go through everything on your list because we have other binos, but we've really hit um, we've hit all the range finding binos. Can we jump to? talking a bit about another range finder you've tried that I see in the list, which is a newer unit um, from Revic and it's their BR4. So I'm assuming that, you know, we're skipping over some of the the non range finding binoculars um, and maybe we can come back and touch on them. But I'm just curious from your perspective, like let's hear about 
a newer rangefinder with the latest and greatest technology, what your thoughts and impressions were on that. And then, you know, was this unit a decision maker and you deciding to settle on a rangefinding bino and all in one unit? Um, I'd love to hear that. So I know we're cutting a few things out, but just for the sake of time, uh, can we jump to this one? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tested the Revic BR4 handheld laser rangefinder, which has a, a 10 power monocular. Um, it's small and compact, has a fantastic laser in it. It's handheld, which for me is both a pro and a con. Um, it Great ballistic solutions. Um, a great reticle. It can input the wind and they use a wind clock and it's really intuitive and user-friendly. And the gentleman that I talked to, and he has a lot of videos out there and his name escapes me right now. I apologize for that. But they have a series of videos that are absolutely fantastic support for this unit. And this is actually the first technology that came out there that I was aware of where you could input the wind and include it into your ballistic solution. So it's what got me to thinking, hold on, maybe you don't want to buy something yet until this technology gets stuck in a binocular. And it, it's great. Um, so the downfalls are, you know, it's a separate unit. And so, you know, you have to glass your animal, your target, whatever, then reach for this, acquire it in the Tempire, and then and range it. So an extra step there that really in my mind I wanted to eliminate. Um, and then, you know, I, I do several different things, but the handheld is just harder to hold steady when you don't have it on a tripod. Um, you know, you can put it on top of your trekking poles or, you know, different things to try to make it. But it's just it's just not as easy to keep still as a pair of binos. But Revic supports this product very, very well. It's small. It's light. It does a fantastic job. There's a, a lot of different features you can turn on and off and one of the best things about them are the series of videos that they show you uh, to go through. And, you know, it, it's really good. Uh, they'll show you how to, to run the buttons and the menu. They'll show you how to do each kind of feature. And it's a, it's a pretty intuitive device. So at one point, again, I mean, I went through, like I said, this was a pretty stressful process for me. And uh, at one point I thought I was going to pair that Revic with uh a Maven B2 9 by 45 and be set, say, okay, this is what I'm going to use. Uh, but then some other technologies into the binos emerged and kind of got me heading in a different direction yet again. So, but it is a, a great product. You mentioned Maven B2. Let's just go ahead and touch on those quick because as you just said, they were, if you were going to go with a non-range finding unit, it sounds like they were kind of the binos you settled on. And I know we're skipping some other ones you tested, but just uh, some quick thoughts on those from you. Yeah, you know, the, the price point's great. I think they're about, you know, 1100 bucks non-range finding. You can customize them if you want, if that means anything to you, put, you know, different camos on there. Excellent customer service. They're a small company. They're actually assembling these 
in the USA, which is a good deal. You know, the 45 millimeter objective is, is a nice feature that, you know, has some inherited advantages on light gathering and clarity in a, in a glass. I mean, they are really good glass, but not, not quite there with the, uh, the others. Um, I do know that they have told me they are working on a pair of range finding binoculars. So that may be something for somebody to look for later. Uh, but it, it's, it's a quality product and very friendly people and uh, a decent price point for what you get. Um, as well as some, another brand that I'd never even heard of, I actually showed up on my Instagram page and, and I kind of started searching them because they looked a lot like a, a Swarovski is GPO or German Precision Optics. Uh, they have a great price point, great customer service. Um, and what's unique about them is this company was started by a bunch of former Zeiss executives that left Zeiss. And what they tell me is that where the world has become such a global market that they can source the same materials as the big three and not have near the overhead or legacy costs that that company has and produce a product uh, on par with them for a better value. And they were very good glass. Uh, they have a little demo program. I think that they'll let you uh, kind of no risk, try one out for, you know, a couple weeks or whatever. So they, they're a good unit too. Uh, their, their lasers in their units aren't on par with the others, but I'm sure that technology will, start coming along so cool so final drum roll i guess <laughs> what did you <laughs> okay. uh, end up with okay so I, I here's what i will tell you i wanted i wanted to choose the sig kilo 10k so bad it wasn't even funny <laughs> i mean <laughs> all right i have some comments about this later you you have you have two companies that are coming to check the most boxes from two ends of the spectrum you have the SIG Tilo, Kilo 10K from the electronic side, the, the, all the intuitiveness, the wind clock, everything, the app user-friendly, applied ballistics elite from the electronic side, but they've got that one Achilles heel of not having the alpha quality glass. Then you have the new product from Laika in the Geovid Pro 32 that has the great glass you can input the wind. They don't have the clock. You have to pay the upcharge for applied ballistics to leak. But at the end of the day, the rule is, and I, I didn't deviate from it, is buy the best glass you can afford. So the Leica had the better glass. So I didn't think I would like the 32 millimeter objective, but they gather light great because the barrels are shorter. The field of view is not affected. I tested that. So I ended up going with the Laika Geovid Pro 32 in 10 power and very happy with them. They do a great job. They're rugged. Um, but absolutely, you know, I was rooting for the SIG Kilo 10K because it's got all these bells and whistles and everything that's really nice. And the thing that I wish the big three would do is, Mark, I don't know if you're old enough to, to even remember, but Back in the 80s, everything 
was digital was like the little bars and that's how you got your numbers and letters and everything. Well, that's still mm-hmm. the way you get most of your readouts in the Lacas and the, and the, the Swaros and, and the Zeiss where you get an LED um, display on the SIG kilos. It's a lot easier to read, a lot clearer, just better. Yeah. Um, and that's what, sorry to comment. That's also what allows SIG to have all the customization options, right? Exactly. Changing your reticle and doing this and doing that is because they're not dealing with those uh, call them fixed pixels for lack of better terms of just those bars you mentioned. Yeah. And that's the thing that, and, and like I said, you've got two companies coming from opposite ends of the spectrum, but um, you know, and that's my thing with, with, with vortex with the furies. Why do you not put your laser rangefinder in your best glass, your high, you know, your flagship model? Um, Cause I've had great service out of this, the the vortex that i used i mean if they would have had 10 by 50 laser range finding i mean i probably just because of my comfort level with them probably would have went grabbed them and not even done this um but but i went with the geovid pro 32 happy with my decision uh i would love for sig to come out with you know great glass in those but uh that's kind of where i was at and it was it was it was painful to go through yeah yeah, that's funny, man. So for me personally, um, I've used used the Zeiss uh, RF units a lot. I've used the Swero RF units. I didn't use the newer Leica because they weren't available at the time. Um, and man, I loved the combination of range finding and premium glass and all being in one package. But then when I used the newer stuff from SIG and fell in love with their their system, all the electronics, everything you mentioned, I was like, gosh, I really don't want to give that up, but I also don't want to give up top tier glass. And so that's honestly what forced me to going back to two units um, this year. Again, we'll see what I do after it. But as I said before, I want Swaro and SIG to come together and have like the best of both worlds, but I'm running the SIG Kilo 8K, which is a handheld range finder. That essentially is everything you talked about in the 10K binos, but just in a handheld. Um, and then I'm just running standard uh, Swarovski EL, not EL ranges, but just their EL binos. And really the price of those two together is going to be very equivalent to EL range TAs or you know the higher end binocular range finders. Um, I feel I'm getting the best of both worlds from optical quality and the best range finding cutting edge technology. It's just not in one unit, which is the bummer for me. Um, so I think like the SIG 10Ks are going to crush it, especially for um, guys who are more of a shooter than a hunter. And by that, I mean guys who want the data and all of that and maybe do hunt, um, but they're not the guys who needs or wants alpha quality glass because they're not sitting there spending hours and hours behind it, for example. Um, PRS guys who do some hunting, for example, like they're going to crush it, but, um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still wanting to see some of the top, top tier glass and these top, top tier range finding capabilities come together. Yeah. You know, like I said, you know, I've got a note here. The choice greatly depends on the intended application because if you're a competitive shooter, I think the SIG's a no brainer. It's what you want. Uh, 
you know, they're rough, they're tough. I know from experience, uh, it's just, it's hard. You know, if you're a hunter, it's hard to walk away from that top tier glass because if you can't find it, you can't kill it. And, yep. you know, the, the, the ranging and the dope and all that stuff really is secondary because you got to find your, your quarry first before, before you can do anything else. And that's what I struggled with. I mean, between those two and, like I said, I got the SIGs just a little earlier than the than the Geovid Pro, but it worked out great. But in the window there, I had I had them both at the same time, and uh, you know that. And th like I said, the one thing that I will say about the SIGs that, about that blue tint is when you are looking directly into like the sunny side of a hill or some kind of towards the end of the sun. I did feel like that that was almost like having a pair of sunglasses on and some of the glare and haze that maybe you get sometimes. I do think that it may have helped with that. So, mm. uh, but like I said, in my opinion, you can't go wrong with, with any of the things that we talked about. Um, you know, it's all going to depend on your application and, and, and what you need. But uh, if you're looking for a handheld unit, that Revic is, is the real deal. And, uh, from talking to those guys, I think they're working on a, uh, a bino with their, their technology in it too. So, um, I hope that <laughs> what I bought doesn't end up being obsolete in a couple of years, but it's a lot like a computer. Sometimes when you take it off the shelf, there's already technology better somewhere. Yeah. Well, if guys are considering, um, dropping some coin here on high end optics with rangefinders, I hope that this conversation has helped. Um, it is that's one thing i find i don't want to say frustrating but just to recap as well if guys are starting to even look at the market on this stuff is there's big gaps between range finding binoculars with limitations and then making a giant price jump to get into the high end stuff to get into the Leicas, the soros the zeiss etc or even like the sig kilo 10ks so a good example would be um, you know, the seal or sorry, the SIG Kilo 3000s um, can be had much cheaper, the third of the price, a thousand ish bucks, right? But you're giving up those onboard sensors and things like that. So um, there's definitely a reason you see these big price jumps from like a thousand to call it $3,000. It's because you're getting an, a lot better optical quality onboard sensors, etc. Um, so I just want if guys are newer to this conversation, um, there is a reason there's that price jump and it is a very, very big price jump. Um, 3000 ish dollars, potentially more, uh, is a lot of money to spend. So, um, it's been cool. Will to have you share this experience, um, completely objectively. And obviously you're very analytical and did a great job breaking down some pros and cons. So thanks for sharing it with us, man. No, absolutely. I, I love the podcast. I appreciate what you guys do um, for the hunting and shooting sports. And I always appreciate how, you know, I mean, I probably listened to several episodes really before I, I thought maybe XO was just the sponsor. I didn't know you guys were the guys from XO. So you really, you are very, very uh, non-biased about things and you kind of just shoot people straight in the facts and uh, you guys have helped me out on a lot of stuff yeah you bet man well thanks for helping us do it with optics today 
All right, man. I appreciate it. Well, there you have it, guys. I hope that that conversation was helpful, especially if you're in the market for some optics now or maybe in the future. Again, if you have anything for us, send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave us a message and you can leave an audio message with your question, which we will answer on a future show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't yet, hit the subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically and we'll talk to you soon.